0: When you're working with a leader and they are under pressure and they are on a short fuse and they are approaching burnout and you say that to them and you say, you need to look after yourself. And they go, but I don't have time or but my team needs me. How do you help somebody go, I know that's true. You and many other people have said it, to I'm actually going to go and do something different to look after myself.
1: That's a very good question, Dr. Gary. And what I would say is that why are you doing this? Yes, you say the team needs you. No question, they do. You're an effective leader. You wouldn't be in your position of authority. But are you acting for them or are you acting for yourself? And when you're acting for yourself, what you're doing is you're putting your ego first. Am I so important that no one else can possibly do this job? Then you're kidding yourself, <laughs> so, uh, and history tells us that you're kidding yourself.
0: My name's Dr. Gary Crotez, and I'm a coach, podcaster, and award-winning author of the idea mindset, a book about how to figure out what you want and how to get it. The unlock moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. When I'm in conversation with my coaching clients, these are the breakthroughs that are so profound that they remember vividly where they were, who they were with, what they were thinking when their unlock moment happened. In this podcast, I'll be meeting and learning about people who have accomplished great things or brought about significant change in their life. And you'll be meeting them with me. We'll be finding out what inspired them, how they got through the hard times and what they learned along the way that they can share with you. Thank you for joining me on this podcast to hear all about another Unlock Moment. Hello, dear listener, and welcome to another episode of the Unlock Moment podcast. If you're new to the Unlock Moment, then you're in for a treat. If you've listened before, then welcome home. These days, every time I walk into my podcast studio, I have to pinch myself to check I'm not imagining this very special privilege I have, for the opportunity to meet and learn from people who have incredible personal stories and with some of the most impactful coaches on the planet. Today's guest on The Unlocked Moment is John Baldoni, renowned US coach, keynote speaker, and the author of no less than 16 books translated into 10 languages. He hosts the Grace Under Pressure interview series on LinkedIn Live and famously integrates piano improvisations into his keynotes. Now that's definitely a love we share. Thinker 360 has named John a top 10 thought leader for both leadership and management Global Gurus ranks John a top 15 global leadership expert. In 2021, the International Federation of Learning and Development named John a world class mentor and named him to its Hall of Fame. John is also a member of the renowned 100 Coaches, founded by Marshall Goldsmith. If you've been listening for a while, then you have enjoyed hearing from a number of this elite group of coaches, with more recording in the coming months. John's previous books include Grace Notes Leading in an Upside Down World, Grace, A Leader's Guide to a Better Us, Moxie, The Secret to Bold and Gutsy Leadership, Lead with Purpose, Lead Your Boss, and The Leader's Pocket Guide. His new book, Grace Under Pressure Leading Through Change and Crisis, is out at the start of April and focuses on three things leaders need to do when change and adversity strike. After all of that, what John doesn't know about managing and leading through change and crisis surely isn't worth knowing. I'm looking forward to hearing more about the journey that shaped him and the Unlock Moments of remarkable clarity he experienced along the way. And I'm hoping that you, my listener, will find a path to your own Unlock Moment through something you hear in this conversation. John Baldoni, it is my great pleasure to welcome you to the Unlock Moment.
1: Well, what a warm and delightful welcome, Um, (laughs) Gary. uh, I'm going to use that for my next keynote. (laughs) No one has done it better than you. So uh, I am in your debt, my friend.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you so much for accepting the invitation to come on. So I feel very much inferior because I've written one book and it, and it took a huge amount of effort. I can't even imagine how you get to a stage where you've written 16 books. But a really interesting question that I like to ask people who've, who've, who've got a book coming out is in that moment, when what was that moment, that unlock moment when you said, I've got to write a book and this is the book and this is the title and this is the theme? With this book, what was that for you?
1: That's an excellent question. I think that grace, this is my third book on the topic of grace. The first book was an explanation of grace in a secular sense and how it's a catalyst for goodness and how leaders use it. The second book, Grace Notes, was a series of reflections chiefly derived from our time under COVID. It's some of the Reflections are in the form of poetry. Um, It was an experiment for me, and I really enjoy doing it. Grace under pressure is my attempt to give concept of grace a bit of muscle uh, and to show how grace is certainly the catalyst for the greater good and facilitates connection, but it is also what leaders need to deliver when times are tough. So the phrase grace under pressure comes from something that Hemingway said in a letter to Dorothy Parker, who was sort of a, a famous author of, of the 1920s, shall I say, and beyond. Um, and then John Kennedy used the phrase in his book, Profiles in Courage. And it means how leaders stay calm, collected in, in times of change. And of course, we, we are now uh, Let's hope in the end stages of our pandemic. I think we're past the lockdown stages. So, but we've learned a lot and we've become resilient, uh, I'm more resilient, I would like to think. But at the same time, I think expectations for leaders have been raised in the sense that we want more of them. We want to know that they care. And so, part of that caring is a sense of grace, but we also want Um, leaders who um, are compassionate, uh, kind, uh, gracious, of course, but also have conviction and courage. And to me, I blend them all together in this concept of grace under pressure.
0: It's really, really interesting because, I mean, I recognize so much of what you're talking about in in the challenges of leaders and, and, you know, in many, many industries, the world has never been as uncertain as it is today. Grace is a really interesting word because it's, it's a word that's not so often linked to leadership, where you, you, know, you talk about bravery and courage. Tell me more about, for a leader, when you're using the word grace, what, 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 do they, what should they interpret that as meaning in the context of their, their world?
1: It's a very good point. There, I'm one of the few people who are actually integrating the concept of grace and certainly in literature, and tying it to leadership in a secular sense, we know of grace, of course, from faith-based traditions, and a broad faith-based traditions from Christianity, Islam, Hinduism, uh, Judaism. All have the concept of grace, and I think, frankly, we our DNA, we're wired that way to take care of one another. That, of course, is a form of grace. So w- what we're saying is in the kind. Co- leadership and grace is that ability to facilitate connection. And one of the things that I think is very important where we are now is to conceive of our workplace as a community. And now as a community, that's where people feel that they belong. That doesn't mean they all think alike, nor nor do they act alike, but they feel a kindred spirit. Amy Edmondson has pioneered the concept of psychological safety. Well, psychological safety, where you feel that you belong and you have a voice, that's endemic in a sense of community. Well, I'd like to say that grace facilitates that sense of community. It, it gives us the freedom to um, be more of ourselves, but also give of ourselves. And I think that what I explore in the book, Grace Under Pressure, is Three things that leaders need to do in times of change and crisis are, pre, uh, are take care of their people, take care of themselves, and prepare for the future. None of that's rocket science. I mean, I think we've been doing that forever. But let's do it with a sense of compassion. Um, and that's what people are really look to. A colleague of mine or not, she's not a colleague, but I interviewed her. Uh, Julia Borstein wrote a book called When Women Lead. And Julia is a reporter for uh, CNBC, which is US network, business network. And in her book, she came to her research showed that during the lockdown, it was women leaders who had a better time, say, adjusting or perhaps leading more than male leaders. And the reason was that, that women were not afraid to ask for help. And we men, sometimes it's a, you know, it's a part of our testosterone that, courses through us that is our strength, of course, but also it cuts us off, I think, prevents us, I think, from seeking help when we need it. Women don't have that kind of challenge as much as men do. So women in leadership during times of crisis are more willing to seek out counsel and help from others throughout the organization. And that is great. You know, that is that sense of, um, it's a sense of humility. It's a sense of vulnerability, but it's a sense of togetherness and belonging, which is community.
0: It's very interesting when you said, take care of their people, take care of themselves and prepare for the future. And then you said, it's not rocket science. But I bet that you meet a lot of people that are not doing it.
1: <laughs> That's true. But so often what is the obvious is it's so obvious we ignore it. <laughs> uh, but I guess my, my little flippant comment about it, about not being rocket science, is that um, there's lots of literature on these kinds of things. Uh, you know, Dr. Gary, what I'm trying to do is to integrate it with another concept of grace, and to show that you can bring your humanity to this. To show that it's okay to seek help. And it's okay to show help. It's okay to be vulnerable. And very important, it's important to work on the human side of who we are as an organization. Because you know from your corporate experience, um, um, successful businesses are not always the most humane. <laughs> and, but how much better can they be? if If they were so and and I have a saying that um I have written extensively about the topic of purpose, and purpose is our why, something that Simon Sinek, among others have said, but purpose fuels our vision, which is our sense of becoming, and it enables us to create our mission, which is our sense of doing, building and um and then what comes from that is our sense of belonging, which are our values. Now, you know very well that you can achieve a vision and a mission in spite of people, but how much better is it to bring people along with you and enable that, not just with you, enable them to succeed? And, uh, you know, there's that old saying, if you're the smartest person in the room, get out of the room (laughs) because, uh, and, too often organizations are led by people who um, think they're the smartest person in the room and they cut off discussion or they put, it's not so much cut off discussion, but they impose their will on others uh, in a way that thwarts any kind of creative thinking application and process. So that's, that's not, that's not a strong value to emulate. So, and that's where grace comes in. Grace is... Can be transformative as well as transactional i mean transformative i this show i've been doing grace under pressure for since mid 2020 i've asked every guest and there's more over 200 now to tell me a story about grace and some of them are as simple as you know i someone was kind to me on a day you know that but they remembered how they felt others it was transformative Someone saved their life or a decision that changed them, altered the course of their life. And so, and grace acts in many different ways, and it can be both transformational as well as transactional. And curiously, I'm, I don't mean to get too far afield here, but uh, Dr. Robert Waldinger, who is a psychiatrist at Harvard, has written a new book with his colleague called The Good Life. And what Dr. Dr. Bob is, uh, we call him, uh, runs this Harvard Adult Development Study, which is a clunky name for something that's been going on 85 years. But the secret to the good life, his new book, is that people seek relationships, and one of the ways the happiest people uh, are those who have are in a relationship with a family, friends, spouse, whatever. But curiously, many people find nourishment for these relationships or for interactions. By simple acts of kindness, okay? I like to say intended acts of kindness. Now, what does kindness mean? It means you can work in a soup kitchen, sure, and, um, or you can do you know, volunteer work and all that kind of stuff. But sometimes it's just being a, a smile. Um, I'm always forever chatty with customer service people. Because I can be a jerk. (laughs) And so by being friendly, overly friendly, perhaps, and and chatty, it keeps, I think it keeps me on track, but also acknowledges the other person as a human being, you know, and, uh, you know, whether you're in a clerk in a store or, you know, customer service person, you're always getting yelled at. (laughs) So um, how much nicer to be treated with people with a smile. And that's a simple thing. And that's, that is a little act of kindness. We all need that. Um, And it's important
0: to us. I really like this conversation. And people that have listened for a long time will know about my obsession with words. And I just wrote down a few words as you were talking through um, that I think are unusual in conversations about leadership with a capital L. And they're very unusual in, in conversation about managing through crisis. And the words I wrote down were grace, and humanity, and humility, and vulnerability. And then I wrote on the road below, belonging. So in a context where a lot of people are going to default under pressure to, how do I get stuff done? How do I set the goals? How do I unlock the potential of the team? How do I set the vision and the objectives? And you know, things that are in their kind of, the management playbook. How's that different for what's different about the outcome if you think about grace and humanity and humility and vulnerability in the way you lead
1: well i don't have any longitudinal data that proves that being a more a leader who acts with grace is more effective than a leader who does not but we can know from personal experience knowing that when we are led by leaders who act with grace it means they care and they and we feel we have a connection to them we certainly like being at work more <laughs> and we like to achieve more maybe it gets down to engagement there is lots of literature on the feeling of engagement when the people feel that they belong or engaged in their work they do better and the organization does better so maybe that's the, the proof of it but i think it's this we all seek something, you know, the, the power of purpose is that we like to contribute to something greater than ourselves, And when we are doing that, we are engaged and um, we want to do our best. And then when we have a leadership team uh, that has our, what we feel has our backs, then, you know, we, we feel we belong. And, you know, this, the concept of grace, obviously, is I'm immemorial, and, and um, many people will talk about a boss that they had uh, in their life. One of the stories that I remember, uh, someone told me that her mother uh, she, she was at work and her mother received, she received work that her mother wasn't dying. And her boss just said, "Please go and go now. Don't even think about this place. Focus on where you are and what your mother and what your family needs. In those few words, he took a burden of, oh, you know, they're um, I'm not doing my job and all of those things. And you know, those that's a wonderful, marvelous example. But I think people do that all the time. And we, we're familiar with them doing the opposite. <laughs> but but you know, we have the capacity to treat other people well and kindly. And you know, the other thing about Grace what first intrigued me was. I'm in the United States, of course, and it was uh, one of the many thousands of shootings that we have here. And it was oh, I don't know, 15 years ago. It was an Amish community when uh, someone went in there and killed eight children. And the grandfather of two of the children went on camera, which is unusual for Amish because they reject normal modern technology. He said, "We want, please." please let the family of the shooter know that we bear them no mouth. Now, where the heck does that feeling come from? Well, he's a person of faith, but it comes from grace. And so often we hear, see see victims extending this sense of forgiveness and mercy to the perpetrators. And I think, which leads me to another thing about grace is that I've been talking about grace outwardly directed toward other people, and it's, that's where we manifest it. But we as leaders, and this is why I included an entire section of the book, we have to show ourselves grace. And leaders are really lousy at that. <laughs> you know? And part of it is because of their sense of responsibility, which is, stems from a good place. But you know the old saying that a uh, flight attendant, say, in a time of distress, you turbulence and the mask comes down, please put the mask on yourself before you treat the child. If you and a leader are not taking care of yourself, and so so many leaders got overextended during time of pandemic, they're less effective. And so it's okay to take care of yourself. And uh, that's important. You need to show yourself grace. And when you make a mistake, um, as we all do, or at least I know I do, Um, We have to show ourselves some forgiveness, show ourselves mercy, show ourselves grace um, for our uh, mistakes and what we will do next.
0: When you're working with a leader, and they are under pressure, and they are on a short fuse, and they are approaching burnout, and you say that to them, and you say, you need to look after yourself, and they go, but I don't have time. Or, but my team needs me. How do you help somebody go, I know that's true? You and many other people have said it, to I'm actually going to go and do something different to look after myself?
1: That's a very good question, Dr. Gary. And what I would say is that why are you doing this? Yes, you say the team needs you. No question, they do. You're an effective leader, you wouldn't be in your position of authority. But are you acting for them or are you acting for yourself? And when you're acting for yourself, what you're doing is you're putting your ego first. Am I so important that no one else can possibly do this job? Then you're kidding yourself. (laughs) So, uh, And history tells us that you're kidding yourself. Um, And so you need to really reflect on what you're doing. The other thing is, is you know, I always use an analogy, and this is uh, many studies show that when you're overworked, your essentially tasks that would take an hour will take two hours. Neuroscientists have made a uh, connection that when you're overly tired or burned out or can be, essentially, you're drunk on the job, you know, and so be you know, so you're impaired, and then and you would not allow someone who is impaired from substance abuse work, but you're impaired. From your fatigue and your burnout, and when you're really burned out, you cannot think straight, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's a real severe form of impairment, and you're not doing the organization, your team, your people, or yourself much use. Now, so, but I would try to flip it back initially to your question, is flip it back, as are you leading with your ego, or are you leading with your need to serve? That's the question you need to answer.
0: I think this is really powerful. And it, and it comes to my, my theme through the podcast of Unlock Moments where, you know, I've seen people, and I'm sure you would have seen people where it's not about the learning over time. It's not about necessarily the thing that, that you're presenting them with is something they've never thought of before. But there's a moment when they figure out, oh, actually, I need to change. Actually, I need to do something different. And Is there anything that comes to mind for you in any of the conversations you've had, whether in in coaching or interviews for for this book and the wider work that you've done, where you've seen that transformational moment, where in that moment something changes and that will never be the same again, around an appreciation of grace?
1: Not so much an appreciation of grace, but I will tell you that virtually every senior leader I've ever worked with, has had that moment where someone close to them, very often their boss, has pulled them aside and said, Gary, you're doing a great job. But if you continue on this path, there's no future for you here. (laughs) So, sometimes we need to be hit by that proverbial uh, two by four. (laughs) So, and oh, okay. And then we have to have that capacity to change. Now, here's where grace comes in. Change is hard. You know that, and it's self change, and it takes courage and commitment to look inside ourselves and say, you know, I really screwed up here, and I need to make some changes. Otherwise, I'm, you know, I'm not going to make it. So that's where grace comes in, too. And we know, you know, I haven't seen a moment of grace in another individual in the moment. I only know what when they've told it to me in, in narrative or what we know from history. Um, but it's also, so often, it's part of grace is also, what's an integral to grace is the concept of mercy. And this is what intrigued me about grace. And initially, I think I described it with the Amish story, but it's, we live in a culture of Let's be honest. Anti-social media. We live in a world of gotcha. So you slipped up, Gary. I'm going to nail you big time. You know, and uh, and I'm going to feel good about it. Well, how about I just cut you some slack? You know, and just and that's what good leaders do. You know, and that's how they they grow the organization. Is because when new people come to the organization, new hires and very often are younger, they're going to make mistakes. And if they have a boss who rides them too hard, they're going to burn out, okay? And they're going to leave, and maybe you've lost a great talent. But so often we have those bosses that see something within us uh, that say, hey, there's some potential there, and I see something in that person. I'm going to help them achieve it. And uh, so they coach coach and they mentor them a lot. So um, I'm not exactly answering your question, but I'm talking around it.
0: (laughs) I love it. No, no, it's it's great. It's great. You talk about bosses and you talk about leaders. And then, and a question that's in my mind often on this topic is, are leaders born or made? So in your experience and, and your thinking here, is this something that people can learn to do if they've not done it before? Is it, is it, does it have to be within them and they need to unlock it? How, how does that play?
1: That's a good question. I think it's, um, I always define, say leaders are made by the moment um, and we see this in moments of stress and um, people rise to the occasion and they, they lead. Um, so leadership is not a title, um, but leaders, you have to have a disposition to want to be in charge. And sometimes people will step forward in a moment of crisis and like sort of like Cincinnatus, the, the farmer in ancient Rome who rallied his fellow farmers to fight the, in a civil, Roman civil war. And said. So then he retired back to the farm. Okay, that's fine. Uh, all right. But then, uh, but there are others who, you know, I like being in charge. I like being responsible for other people and will do it. And then, of course, we have management, which encourages people to take greater sense of responsibility. Doesn't make them leaders, and we use the term managers, not leaders. <laughs> so, uh, but but I don't think you can become a truly effective leader. Excuse me, truly effective manager without being a leader, and that is looking at the um, uh, the ability to bring people together um, to believe in others. Also, be, you know, impose, um, uh, hold standards and, and be, dis- apply discipline when necessary. But it's looking at the aspirational side, what we can achieve. Whereas management is, is about helping us meet budgets and deadlines, all of which is, is absolutely critical to any organization and must be done and done well. But when we imbue it with a sense of leadership, and we ask really managers to be both managers and leaders. Um, it, it's um, you. You need the two of them to work, complement one another.
0: I was doing a, writing a blog article this week about uh, uh, managing and 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 a coaching culture, and I discovered that the derivation, the etymology of the word manager comes from the Italian for controlling horses, which tells you a lot about. I didn't know that before. but tells you a lot about the difference in management and leadership, which is quite interesting.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. I like that. <laughs>
0: So um, we've talked about t- taking care of your people and we talked about taking care of yourself a bit. How, how does Grace Under Pressure help you to prepare for the future?
1: Well, if you can handle that, I'll tell you a story. Um, I once I lived in Los Angeles for a good many years and uh, I was interested in the uh, uh, motion picture industry and I wanted to be a screenwriter and all of that. And it never quite worked out, but other good things did. But I had the privilege of sitting in for a number of weeks with a, a work, an acting workshop conducted by Marty Ritt. Marty Ritt was a very famous Hollywood director, theater director. Uh, and someone talking about Grace Under Pressure, he was, had blacklisted because he had supposedly had Communist Party um, affiliations in, his, in the 30s and 40s, as many creatives did. Um, and uh, so anyway, um, so he'd been through the ringer. But, he talked about how he cast a picture. And he talked about the movie Norma Ray. And he wanted to have Sally Field play Norma Ray. Now the studio executives, in their infinite wisdom, said, how can at that time Sally uh, Field was his early 80s, um, was considered a, sort of an ingenue, light entertainment actress, and she couldn't play a union person. So, Marty, I know my words say, I'll show you. But he, his theme, his way he casts his p- pictures or his plays would be to have the actor do the most dramatic scene. And in the movie Norma Ray, the most dramatic scene is when Sally Fields stands up on a table and holds up the sign that says Union. There are very few words, but just pulls that off. She did it in the screen test and brilliantly. And he said, that's how you carry the picture, you know and I, I've used that analogy is leaders rise to the occasion, and when they can handle the big moment, they can handle anything. you know Sometimes, well, I'll say that, sometimes they can't handle little stuff, and they need help doing that. Let's put it that way. but you want a leader who, who can be in the moment in the crucible and guide people forward and. So when you're casting your picture, that's the, you want that person in a leadership position to be who can handle the big stuff, the tough stuff. I and mean, if they can do that, then you're going to be on the right track.
0: So people are going to pick up your book and, and read all about grace under pressure. What's something that you really want them to take away? What's a, what's a real takeaway moment from, from the book?
1: Well, I have this little mantra, um, and it's called, Focus on better. And you define what better means for you. I want to be a better spouse, a better friend, a better parent, a better colleague. And when we said, and you define what it means, and you work toward that. And then so your life becomes a sense of continuous improvement, but inherent because we are human. By focusing on better, we know that we're going to take two steps forward and a half step back or, uh, or maybe a full step back. But if we have that mantra of focusing on better, we will be pointing ourselves in the right direction. So what is our impetus for being better? What, what is our facilitating for being better? It's grace. you know a grace comes from within Grace is given to us with no strings attached. Let's apply it to ourselves so we can be better. At what we do for others
0: that's fantastic I, I come back to these words that that, that you're using and, and the way you're talking and I'm, I'm fascinated before we finish to hear a little bit more about the piano and how the piano works in with the way where you think you talked about poetry as well so how, how is that a part of your you know your whole piece of, of how this comes together for you
1: well piano is an application for me it's a hobby and so um I learned as a child, but then I abandoned it for many, many years. And then I went back to it. And then shortly after that, I said, Oh, I'd like to start playing in public, but, but play. So I played in a, uh, yeah. in a, once a week I had, or every other week, I had a, a standing gig with a, a residence home for uh, mentally uh, people suffering from TBI or developmental disabilities. Then I started playing in hospitals. And then when COVID struck, I couldn't play anymore, so I started. I couldn't play live anymore, so I started recording pieces. So every Sun, every Monday, I try to post a new piece of music on LinkedIn. I call it Motivation Monday. What music does for me is communicates on a. All musicians say this. It's music is a language that connects with us in new and different, in ways that words don't. And there was a wonderful move, a movie called Score, which is about scoring motion pictures. And one of them, uh, there was a psychologist interviewed, and she talked about the physiological response that people have from, music, from listening to music. Sometimes we literally will get goosebumps on doing that. But as it ties into grace, and that's why my other little book was called Grace Notes, which is, as you know, a flourish in, in music. But. When I had the opportunity, when I'm back now playing live in in an area hospital, being in a hospital, you're in a situation where nobody wants to be there, patients and family. But uh, so often when I'm there, I've seen moments of grace where staff are treating patients and family with a kindness and a compassion and an understanding of their position, where they are, and a human connection. We know this from nurses. Nurses have the greatest sense of grace. <laughs> Funny story. I think one of the first times I talked about grace in public was to a group of nurses. And halfway through this presentation, I thought, I'm just preaching to the choir here. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> these people know way more about grace than I will ever know. So. That was my moment of "Come up and." Um, uh, so music is important to me. It's an expression, of course. I, li- uh, I like playing, and, and um, uh, I am by no means gifted, <laughs> but people are don't throw things at me, and they seem to like it. And it, you know, when you're in this um, uh, an imposing environment as hospitals can sometimes be, um, hearing live music connects us and calms us in ways that no other thing can do. And that, maybe that's a form of grace, too.
0: I love that. And I, and I think it brings a, a richness and a depth to understanding why grace is so important to you. I, I really like how you told that story. So, John, where can people find out more about you, the work you've done, the books you've written and so on?
1: I have a website, which is uh, my name, johnbaldoni.com. Um, and I write regularly for Forbes.com and also smart brief. Um, and I also have active on LinkedIn. Um, and I do the show grace under pressure, um, try to do at least one show a week, um, with thought leaders from around the world. And, um, so I'm, and all the, my books are all available on uh, Amazon, as well as in bookstores. And if not, they're online on the shelf. They can always be ordered. So thank you.
0: Fantastic. Thank you. The Unlock Moment is that flash of remarkable clarity when you suddenly know the right path ahead. For executive coach, keynote speaker, and prolific author John Baldoni, it was the realization that grace enables us to connect with others for the greater good. Go to Amazon or wherever you buy your books and get yourself a copy, Grace Under Pressure, Leading Through Change and Crisis. It's the guide you need for calm, collected, and compassionate leadership through challenging times. John, your insight has been so valuable. I know how much my listeners will have appreciated it. Thank you so much for joining me today here on The Unlock Moment.
1: My pleasure, Dr. Gary. Thank you.
0: This has been The Unlock Moment, a podcast with me, Dr. Gary Crotez. Thank you for listening in. You can find out more about how to figure out what you want and how to get it in my book, The Idea Mindset. Find me on Instagram at Dr. Gary Crotez and subscribe to this podcast to get notified about future episodes. Most listeners to this podcast on Apple and Spotify haven't yet hit the follow button. If there's one thing you can do right now to help me out, then please click the follow button. The more followers I have, the better guests I can attract for you to learn from. Thanks again for listening and join me again soon here on The Unlock Moment.